You guys, I am so excited to welcome Ross Rosenberg back to the Terry Cole Show. He is a frequent flyer of the Terry Cole Show. We love his work. I just told you all about him at the top, so you know all the things. And many of you, I know, listened to and watched our last um, interview together. And it was more like a it was more like a marathon talk, is what we did last yeah. time. But is, there's right. always so much, you know, Ross, for us to talk about. So I wanted to just say thank you for coming back and welcome. Oh, it's it's my treat. Uh, one of the my favorite moments of. Um, any type of YouTube or podcast is talking with you. feels like we're on the same page in so many topics, and I can't wait for this one, this topic. Yes. Our obsession with codependency is one of those topics, for yeah. sure. So I was diving deep into your YouTube channel, which, of course, I've been to many times before, but I, you know, for this, because we were going to be doing this, and I'm like, what are people talking about what are people in your world wanting to know about one second as i light my candle um mm -hmm. and so the first thing that came up that i thought was great and you know i've thought about this before but never exactly in this way so let's talk if we can a little bit start with talking about narcissists codependence and induced conversations mm. okay well that's that's a uh, so narcissists are not very nice people that we know that and codependence. I, I kind of renamed um, that um, to what I call self-love deficit disorder, self-love deficient, because the reason they get caught in these relationships with narcissists through what I call the human magnet syndrome is that at the very core is this self-love deficit, this core shame. Um, and that is, that bonds them to people that feed off of that. And that's the best I can do with such a broad terms, but I, I know you'll get me back. But with regard to induced conversation, uh, one of the things that um, I did um, with all three of my books, one of which will be published soon, um, and I'll talk about that later. Yes, um, please. Is, um, is um, I set out a very, very clear explanation for what actually is this codependency thing that I would call self-love deficit disorder, SLDD, and what is pathological narcissism? Because we got, we got thousands of people um, on YouTube and podcasts giving their opinion on narcissism. And um, it's, not, it's not always right. It's not always correct. And even when it is correct, the point of view is stilted towards anger, vindictiveness, and blame. And the only way that I've been able to fix my broken picker, or what my one therapist said, falling in love with the same woman but who has a different face, <laughs> is not to like stay away from them because something inside me keeps pulling me in that direction, but it's the understanding what is it about me that falls in love predictably with these mm. people. And that, that whole question brought me into an understanding of self-love deficit disorder. And, and because your question doesn't have to do with that, I want to just, just start with, it's a very specific problem for which, if you like, I can talk about it later. But then I created a treatment program. Mm -hmm. See, everyone knows me because of the, my book, The Human Magnet Syndrome, YouTube channel. But really, like yourself, Terry, we're psychotherapists. Mm -hmm. we, we started, you know, we started, you know, in this career field wanting to help people, wanted to change the world one person at a time. And so as I figured out myself, 
And I was able to take that and help my other clients. And I developed this treatment program, which I call the Self-Love Recovery Treatment Program. And within that program, I have all of these techniques and stages. It's, it's a very complicated program, has many different components of it. But there are, there are techniques that I created to help people manage their, uh, the process of disconnecting from pathological narcissists while healing the, the wounds inside of themselves and pull them towards it. Because the narcissists, um, they, they look at the relationship with the codependent like oxygen. They might not act like it, but if a codependent or an SLD, self-love deficient, gets to the point where they are ready to break free, the narcissist will do anything and everything um, to sabotage that process. So as much as I help my clients understand all the the inner psychological components of, of recovery, what they have to do, I have to teach them techniques. And one of them is um, my observe, don't absorb technique, which is what you're not asking about, but it's a larger, um, it's a, probably the largest category of technique that I have under which other techniques fall into it. So before I talk about the induced conversation, start off at observe, don't absorb. It rests on this idea that the only way, well, it rests on the saying by George Bernard Shaw, don't wrestle with pigs, you'll get dirty. Mm-hmm. You decide the pig likes it. And so the narcissist holds all the power or maintains all the power by the fight, the argument, the disagreements, the, um, the pleas. Um, and what SLDs or codependents don't know is when they defend themselves or try to fight back, they're actually empowering the narcissist to keep them entangled or entrapped. So observe, don't absorb teaches you to not let them in your emotional space. Because once they get you upset or they get, they, um, you would absorb and get angry, um, sad, bitter, you then want to do something about it. And then you get into the wrestling ring with the pig and you lose. So you observe, you observe the person watching you almost like you're dissociated, but not without any feelings. And it's, it's what I call, um, healthy, but healthy dissociation. And you know that they're trying to get you mad and all the power is in getting a reaction, which is to absorb what they're doing. So that is the briefest I've, I've ever talked about observe, not absorb. There's so much more about that, um, um, at my YouTube uh, page and other sources. Yeah. Okay. Go ahead. Do you want me to start with induced conversation or do you have I a- do? Okay, no, good. no. Well, we'll observe, not absorb. It's funny that was also on my list to discuss. So I appreciate that you hit it first, and I think that there's something really. I just want to put a point on how important what you're saying is and what is required to do it. So you're talking about not getting swept up, not reacting, being mm-hmm. having enough proactive brain power to go. I know. The narc is going to attempt to suck me into this dance. I liken right. it. I always use the the metaphor of being on the, like they're trying to drag me back to the dance floor, but like, I don't want to dance. I don't want to do that dance. I keep saying I'm not right. going on the dance floor. So I think that it's really important though, 
Because for a lot of people, especially if they're co-parenting with mm-hmm. a narcissist, you can't just leave the club altogether, right? Like, no, you, you know, like you, you have to interact with them in some way. So anyway, putting the point on how important it is to see what's going on from like, as Deepak Chopra would talk about the power of becoming the observer in our own lives oh, yeah. and how, oh, cool. how, um, for it, according to him, this is like one of the highest levels of evolution is when we can observe ourselves without judgment, but with curiosity and compassion. And I kind of think that you're saying the same thing minus some of those things. Just l- see what's going on and don't get yeah. sucked in is basically what you're saying there. Yes. Well, yeah, D- Deepak um, um, is going beyond what I'm saying and it's about spiritual and personal development. And, and he's <laughs> He's he's as as smart and as uh, full of wisdom as any person I've ever known. But what I say is to recognize, because remember, I, my my program is to help people escape narcissistic abuse by looking inside themselves and finding out what is it about them that that they do or don't do that keeps them entangled. Because the narcissist, I mean, there are some cases where there's a physical entrapment, but narcissists rely on sabotaging the codependent's defense abilities, defense strategies, um, to find a way to neutralize what could have been effective. And and part of that is most people, if they're being attacked, they're being hurt, they defend themselves. And of course, that for most people, to defend yourself and to fight back, um, that saves lives, it saves families, it saves children's mental health. But in the case of the narcissist, if you are trying to break free as you're getting healthier and developing self-love, as, as, as I simplify it, you have to understand that the narcissist will do anything to keep you engaged and with him or her. Because if you're engaged, it's the pig, going back to the uh, George Bernard Shaw saying, the pig wrestler he wrestles professional pig wrestler that they know every inch of the wrestling ring. They have all the strength by getting you where they have the most power and control. And that is the wrestling ring, which I call is communication, discussion, um, answering questions, reacting. And if you set a boundary, the first thing the narcissist is going to do is he's he or she's going to figure out a way and how to get you to fight back because in that fight, he's going to kick your butt or she's going to kick your butt. So observe is to understand, proactively understand the power you lose by getting upset and the the activation of what I call a false power syndrome. And that is this belief that when you're angry and you can fight, you're powerful. It's a It's false power because you're fighting someone that's going to kick your ass or who's going to make you lose. So you understand that. You watch them. You predict that they're going to manipulate you. And if you can watch it without emotion and not let um, it antagonize you or activate you, then you can make all the right decisions. And more often than not, that is to stay out of the wrestling ring, is to not get into the conversation, is not to be lulled into the argument, not to get angry or defensive. So when a SLD, hold on, I have to turn the program off because 
we're going to have those silly beeps and we don't want that. There we go. So um, the nar- the narcissist, like it's like you're taking away their oxygen. They they are more afraid of being alone. It's a, and part of my human magnet syndrome work, I talk about pathological loneliness. That all SLDs um, are terrified of being alone, and the pain of being alone is pathological. Well, they have worse fear of being alone. You, they won't admit it. They won't tell you. But should you try to get out of the relationship, like I said, they will fight like you're taking away their oxygen. And that means they will do anything and everything to keep you in a wrestling ring. So part of that is to understand the technique induced conversation. Um, and that essentially means they're going to figure out a way to get you into a conversation, get you into an argument. You know, SLDs, and, and by the way, you don't have to be an SLD and narcissist to know that, you know, if, if you know, let's say you're young and inexperienced and you're dating someone and they're, they're, they want to like, you know, influence you to like him or her, they have to, you have to get a conversation going. You have to like charm them, be nice to them. Well, mm-hmm. narcissists, narcissists know if we, if they can, if you're breaking free, they have to get you to talk to them. And, you know, and, and if you don't, they're going to induce it so that you will fall prey to your own instinct to argue. Um, and then they have the power. Right. Think about, you know, it's funny because as, as a therapist, I've seen all the tactics. And actually, I was watching a video that, that you have about this, which was great, about all the ways that they'll, they'll come back, right? They'll come back to be like, you know, you hurt me and I feel like I have a right to say that. I talk about that. Or something as benign as you left your sweater at my apartment and I just want to get it back to you. Uh, or Bobby's teacher called if you're co-parenting. Exactly. And I think we have to talk about that. Um, I've also seen in my therapy practice, someone wait until let's say one of your parents passes away yeah, and they reach out or something happens to you. You get diagnosed with something and they're like, Hey, I don't want anything. I'm just thinking about you. Like these are the, the real times when you've got to remember what Ross is saying about not engaging in this induced conversation because just because you're normal, just because you're kind, just because you think it might be rude to not respond to them, you have to remember these are also ways that they're sort of hoovering you back in to some kind of contact where in the beginning, remember again, mm-hmm. the, you know, those of you who know about narcissism, and we can certainly talk about this as well, Ross, but you know, they're incredibly charming and can be, when you talk about love bombing, this is a real thing. This is a real thing. So let's talk a little bit about love bombing because I know it's funny. Yeah. I had uh, I had a therapist, um, uh, psychologist on the other day. We were talking about all the misuse of the terms that are out there. Yeah, yeah, there's and yeah, just there's... being used and abused to death. But anyway, let's talk about love bombing, shall we? Yeah, sure. So, so connecting and youth conversation. So when you know the power the narcissist has by the conversation, you have to t- tell yourself conversations are dangerous. It's a simple fact that you have to tell yourself because mo- it, it goes against common sense because most conversations um, um, are, um, they facilitate good relationships. So once, once you know that conversations are dangerous and you understand that as you break 
uh, as you shut it down, you, then you expect proactively the narcissist is going to fight you back and they are going to do whatever they can, induce conversation or love bombing. And, and love bombing, um, it works really well with people who are not in my program because the whole idea of, of my program, there's a whole stage that prepares the SLD, the codependent, for everything that the narcissist is going to do once you start implementing boundaries. And so it's a study of not only the narcissist and what to expect, but but a study of how you have reacted in the past that it's, has made you fall prey. And so love bombing is, it. normally everyone wants to be loved. Normally everyone wants to be treated well, especially if it's your romantic partner or someone that you have deep um, intimate feelings for. And for an SLD, they often remember the beginning of the relationship. <laughs> Everything was so beautiful and perfect. Well, there's a, um, a term they call limerence, where you just can't, you're floating on air, you can't sleep, you think about them all the time, you want to be just one with them. And there's this memory, almost delusional-like memory, of how beautiful the love was. And because the narcissist can't keep that alive, after limerence fades, they go into their selfish mode, and SLD goes into their um, selfless mode, and then that's the dance, and they stay together, human magnet syndrome stuff. So the narcissist will do anything and everything to pull the SLD, the codependent, back in a relationship, and they will feed, they will prey on all their vulnerabilities. And one of them is to show them love, tenderness, kindness. Now, that in itself is not love bombing. That's just to someone who is starved, who has been a victim of neglect, abuse, gaslighting, the, the affection and niceness is like, oh. And it just makes them say, well, that's the man or the woman I fell in love with. But love, love bombing is a systematically organized approach to render the SLD helpless against breaking away from you is to give them what they've always wanted that you never have to make it seem real, authentic, and then connect to the very human part of their, their lives, their, their humanity to be loved. And presence, tenderness, compliments, or the absence of neg negative, negativity. And that gets into their head and it's a trick. Now, there's different forms of love bombing. There's people, you can talk about love bombing in the beginning of a relationship as a technique that people do just to um, get people to see how wonderful you are when you're not. But the love bombing I'm talking about is when you're trying to break free and all of a sudden they become the man or the woman that you've always wanted that you vaguely remember. But if you are working this program, my self-love recovery program, you know, you interpret this the opposite. So when someone says, sweetie, I love you so much. You are so beautiful. And I'm so sorry. I, I didn't say this. I'm so selfish. These roses don't come close to expressing how much I love you. Well, instead of melting and go, oh, if you, bit, you, you, you predicted it and you, if anything, you get mad and annoyed, like, but you don't say anything because remember, observe, don't absorb, don't, don't get into the wrestling ring. 
and you you see it as it is. It is invasive, it's predatory, it's manipulative, and it's designed to trick you so it can ultimately entrap you. And that is how you, you neutralize love bombing by recognizing it in the very beginning and understanding a person, and this is important, understanding a person who is incapable of loving you cannot all of a sudden become capable of it just because you're leaving. And so you have to, using induced conversation, is step back and don't take the flowers, um, say no to dinner, or whatever is the sweet, kind gestures that they do. Yes. I think that part of what I see with my therapy clients of how hard it is when a narcissist comes back and they've been pining away, even though they know they're bad, they, they, they know they shouldn't want them, mm-hmm. but then they keep wanting to talk about asking, is it possible? And I, I see this on the internet too, people asking me. But is it possible for the person to change? And listen, I, I can't diagnose anyone on the internet, right? Like, neither can you. Like, we don't know. But my feeling is, if if you're a diagnosable narcissist, it's unlikely. Now, it, does, it doesn't mean you can't change. But in my own experience, you have to want to change, which requires you to admit that you're the problem and that you have a problem. And I'm not saying there's no narcissist ever in the history of life that have done that, but it's not the usual MO that we find with narcissism right. because usually they're finding fault right. with the other person, right? Right, which is, which is why whenever I talk about narcissism, I say pathological narcissism. In my book, The Human yes. Magnet Syndrome, I establish operationally. This is codependency. I have a very clear definition of it. Oh, and I want to hear that. Okay. And this is, I'll do that in a second. And this is pathological narcissism. And I say pathological narcissism, according to my categorization, is one of three personality disorders. Narcissistic, borderline, and antisocial personality disorder. Therefore, when we say narcissist or pathological narcissist, we are talking about a personality disorder. And as, as we mental health practitioners know, that the probability is abysmal, is, is, is using a big word, and I can't, I can't pronounce it, is horribly low, <laughs> abysmally low, is super low, that they can change because the way their brain has developed, they are unable to take responsibility, admit fault. Um, they have very low levels of empathy. Um, they are fragile and need to blame someone else. Therefore, they don't admit they have problems. They blame others. Sometimes they project. Um, and, and should they want to get help, it's always a last-ditch manipulative effort to save the relationship that has no teeth. So when we talk about Narcissists, as I understand that, we're talking about people with personality disorders. And that is why, you know, someone once joked and says to me, says, Russ, well, you're just a, a relationship or marriage killer. And at first I defended myself and I started thinking about it and I thought, I guess I am. If, so, if someone comes to me and they're an SLD, that means they're, they're according to the Human Magnet Center, they're in love with someone with personality disorder. And should they want to get better, their relationship will fall apart. There's no hope because that person has a 
incredibly low uh, potential of changing. Yes. Okay, so many things, but let, let's talk about your definition of codependency. Okay. So you have renamed it self-love deficit disorder, but from the work that you do, which is extensive and you've been doing it for decades, you know, tell mm -hmm. us your definition of codependency. So um, in the My Human Magnet Center books and this book that I'm going to release in a few months called The Codependency Revolution. Can't wait. I, and to order to explain the human magnet syndrome and why pathological narcissists fall in love with codependence, um, I had to do, I had to fix something that is horribly broken in our field. And that is the generalization of people and problems. He's a narcissist. She's a codependent. Well, what the heck does that mean? It can mean anything. And for, and poor codependents get stigmatized just because. So I created a specific definition that is so simple that upon that, we talk about the different types of codependence. So a codependent is someone who gives, gives away all love, respect, caring, trust, and protection in a relationship with the hopes that it will be reciprocated, mutual. But because of the human magnet syndrome, they pick a person with a personality disorder, a narcissist, they don't get it. And they stay in a relationship. Simplifying it, it's a person who gives all the love, respect, caring, trust, and protection with hopes it's reciprocated. They don't get it, and they stay in a relationship. Got it. Then we have 10 personality types. So it's like depression. You can have major depression and have – you can be like cranky and angry or quiet and sweet. There are so many ways someone with a disorder could look. But depression is depression, and codependency is codependency. So on on the inverse of that, a pathological narcissist is someone who takes or needs all the love, respect, caring, trust, and protection with no intention of giving, reciprocating, and has no has little to no empathy about it. So when we understand that codependence, if we simplify it, then we we get rid of all this stigma, these these character problems of they're weak, they're they're too loving, they're gullible, because there are so many different types of codependence. And then your book on code a book on codependency becomes like two hundred pages explaining what a codependent is, but really you're talking about personality traits. So you can be, for example, an active codependent and, and always chase down the narcissist and, and argue, argue, argue and try to change them. You can be the passive codependent who just resigns to it all and gives in. You can be the cerebral codependent that reads and goes to therapy. The obli it's oblivious, the anorexic. They all are different, but they all, in their relationships, fall or prey fall prey to um, the narcissist and give all the love, respect, caring, trust, and protection. So right. that is codependency. So then when I moved into this whole self-love deficit disorder, I created a pyramid to explain what is SLDD, which is still codependency. And it's a disorder that is created by attachment trauma caused by being raised in a, in a horribly traumatic childhood environment by a narcissist that created core shame where you essentially think you're worthless, not, I'm not good enough, not, not, no one will ever love you creates pathological loneliness, creates an addiction to fill 
the emptiness of the loneliness. And at the very top is all the traits we know as codependence. So now we understand this whole codependency thing is, is really a trauma disorder. So that, 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 that is my, so I have yeah. to stop myself because I know I go on and on and on. So that's where I'll stop for now on my definition of codependency and SLVD. I love it. So let me ask you something from, you know, how like Marvel characters all have like their origin story. Oh, yeah. yeah. So, yeah. so cool. what is your origin story in respect to like what, what set you up to do what you do? Well, I come from another planet and my father, okay. Uh, okay. No, I'm not a Marvel character. Okay. Um, my origin story is the same origin story of every SLD. And it, and that pyramid is indisputably accurate, accurate. Every SLD. And, and I mean 99% because I've been doing this a lot, a lot of, I'm the type of guy that over time I'll create an idea. And if it's not right, I'll change it. I don't care if I'm wrong. I just want to get it right. And so what I've come to understand, every SLD's origin is being raised by a pathological narcissist and a codependent parent, which means during the important attachment phase, they did not receive the love, respect, caring, trust, the nurturing to make them feel safe in a world where they could just be themselves. And during this cauldron of harm, they found a way to mold themselves to be what the narcissist wants. And that is the birth, the simplified birth of codependency is during a time when you should just enjoy life and play and have fun and believe you're special enough to be cared for. You are pushing all that down and finding out a way to make your narcissist happy so that they can, you can be their good one and you can get conditional love. So the origin story is so painful that, um, that the trauma of, of, of a childhood where you are not happy and you have to push down your basic human needs, is, it might not sound horribly traumatic to the listener, but if you experience that as a child, it's intensely um, um, damaging. And that isn't like any trauma, post-traumatic stress disorder, for example, that uh, trauma responsible for PTSD, if the brain determines that it is too painful to remember, it puts it away, it cordons it off in the part of our brain, the limbic system, specifically the amygdala, so that you don't have to remember it because, but it's still there and impacts you emotionally, you just don't know it. So my trauma story, my trauma story, my origin story is having a severely narcissistic father, a completely lost, but well-meaning codependent mother who wasn't the typical codependent mother who was all sweet, kind, and loving. She actually wasn't very warm and cuddly, but still, code, remember, codependents come in all sizes and shapes. And I, I grew up um, being the apple of my dad's eye, but at, the, at a huge cost. And, and then at age 13, I developed into the person I still am because I tend to like speak the truth, even if it gets me in trouble. And that doesn't work well with narcissists. And so my origin story is at age 13, I went from being daddy's little prince to daddy's bad kid. And all that set me up to replicate that relationship with the women that I would choose through my broken picker.
un- my unconscious, um, unconscious um, processes. It's it's thank you for sharing that. It's kind of interesting though how all of us have our our experiences that make mm-hmm. us passionate about helping others, and yeah. it's always the things that created for me the most personally the most painful experiences are the things that I'm hoping to spare others. I always say like, you know, it took me 20 years of therapy and a cancer diagnosis and oh. it doesn't have to be that for you. Right? right. And you're, you're sort of doing the same thing. You're saying, Hey, you know, this, I'm sure about this. <laughs> like yeah. I, I have some knowledge about this. I can help you where you don't have to be lost right. in the same way. Right. I, and, and over time I developed a treatment program that is 11 stages and um, there, and it's not simple. It's not. It's not based on one theory. It takes the best of everything I know that works on the different components of SLDD. And but there is one part of it, stage eight, that is trauma resolution. And and I developed a technique called healing the inner trauma child technique that I've been working on my whole career. Even when I didn't know what I was doing, I just accidentally like fell upon it in my second or third year. 30 something years ago, but I am able to access the affective or feelings based experience that was cordoned away, put away, locked away um, in the part of the brain that won't let you remember it. And so I can get to that just like other trauma therapies can. And <laughs> it, it is, it's in, it's manifested by memories. The, of the child who are hurt at the point at which they froze or disappeared. And I'm able to get to that and bring it forward and so that my client can build the relationship with the part that they lost, the, the trauma, the inner trauma child, and then be able to, because you can resolve something in therapy if someone knows about it. You can't if it's not accessible. And, and that hitch method actually allows the therapy to finally break through um, where regular talk therapy would never work. That's why I get so every, and I don't, I don't think I'm exaggerating. 75% of the clients I get um, will tell me, I would say about 50%, 50% of the clients I get will say, I've worked on my family issues. I've worked on my trauma stuff. And I, and I try not to smile because, you know, um, and I say, Oh, Okay. But I know they didn't find the person they worked with, even with their best intentions, wasn't able to get to what is invisible that is hidden. And the, the importance of being able to access that material is, I mean, how can we, I always talk about the awareness raising phase of everything. Like how can we fix what we're unaware of or what we're in denial of? And right. with what you're talking about, you're really talking about, it's like way, way down there, right? It's, yeah. it's so painful that it's pushed all the way down. And it really takes a, you know, a process that is incredibly thoughtful by someone who's been a professional for decades mm-hmm. to come up with a way of safely doing it. Because I also worry about when I see different people who are coaches and stuff, and this is not to diss coaching. Like I think coaching is great, but if I read something where someone says, I'm going to cure your trauma in a weekend. Oh my God. You're Did not. You my eyes roll back in my head. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> see me falling on the floor because it's so misleading. 
and, and you're not going to. So I want to say that I super appreciate you coming back on the show. I super appreciate your work. I cannot wait for your book to yeah. come out. So your, your, what is the name of the new book? The Codependency Revolution. It, Excellent. It, it is my book. It's my what I call my masterpiece that for once explains exactly what codependency is and explains what we need to know in order to get to the next generation of therapists being able to help others to, to overcome. Yeah. I love it. So you guys, where, where can um, these people find you, Russ? Um, um, my website would be <laughs> selfloverecovery.com. The company is Self Love Recovery Institute. So selfloverecovery.com or just email us at help at selfloverecovery.com. I got a, I got a YouTube channel. I got, you, you'll talk about, I think you've talked about that already in my introduction. I, I did podcast and all that stuff where you can also um, get information and keep up to date with some of the things I'm, cause I'm constantly discovering things and figuring things out. Just there's as long as I am figuring things out in myself and my clients, I'm still trying to create a book. And I say it almost um, um, analogously a book that's not, that probably never get finished because the process of learning keeps happening. But lucky for us, you have a YouTube channel. So if we want to keep learning from Ross Rosenberg, we just go to your YouTube channel and there it is, or listen to your podcast. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you, my friend. We will do this again. Oh, thank you so much.